Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Glad to have you back for another edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Even for an area struggling with drought conditions, there can be some downside to finally getting rain especially if a lot of it comes all at once. I'm James Hunt and I'll talk about a plant disease concern for Texas Panhandle wheat coming up on Texas Ag Today. The value of agricultural science programs to both students and teachers. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. The current U.S. Drought Monitor seasonal outlook is not optimistic for a majority of the state of Texas. Following best management practices during good growing conditions can reduce the impact of drought. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Some areas of Texas have quickly gone from a drought to a downpour. Jessica Domel has the story. Just a few weeks ago, the Victoria area near the Texas coast was suffering from drought and in need of a good rain to help crops progress and green up pastures. Well, that all changed last week. A storm system brought in a drastic amount of rainfall, up to 14 inches in some areas. Matt Boucher, Victoria County Extension agent, says three inches of rain fell per hour in some places. The good news is we were pretty dry before the rain, so the first few inches, I'm sure, soaked directly into the ground and is going to work well for crop growth. Boucher told us that some fields were still holding water from earlier in the week on Friday. We've had a couple of days now of really dry weather, so overall, I think it's going to be a positive thing. There are some fields that are going to sit that don't drain as well that might uh, suffer some damage in the lower parts of the field. Additional rainfall was expected over the weekend. Boucher said it will be a few days before farmers can get into the fields and assess what, if any, damage to the crop there may be whether that be wet feet on the crop or increased disease or pest pressure. If you've got water that's standing in your field for long periods of time, none of those crops really like that. I think if we continue to get rain, it stays wet. Then we'll be talking about some loss conditions. The wet weather led to an increase in mosquitoes in the county. And with more chances of rain in the forecasts, ranchers really couldn't do much to alleviate the problem last week. When you get a high populations of mosquitoes, most of the cattle try and gather in groups to try and ward off the, the large clouds of mosquitoes. And then they're moving all the time, swishing their tail, and they're burning a lot of energy during that time. So you're losing weight on the cattle, et cetera. That was Matt Boucher, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Agent for Victoria County. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Most farmers and ranchers are glad to get the recent rains, but it seems there's always a downside when the storms pass through. 
James Hunt takes a look at one problem from the panhandle. The current wheat crop in the Texas High Plains has already encountered many threats, but as we near the end of the season, concern about plant disease has escalated. Dr. Ken Obasa, plant pathology specialist with Texas A&M AgriLife, says abundant rains in some locations have provided the wet and humid conditions that trigger pathogens into action. There are three factors that need to be present and operational for a disease to occur. You have to have a susceptible host plant, you have to have the pathogen that's going to cause the disease, but you also have to have a favorable environmental condition for that pathogen to actually create that disease. If any one of these three factors is missing, you're not going to get disease. The plant diseases getting the most attention now from Dr. Obasa and his colleagues are known as black chaff and basal gloom rot. Dr. Obasa says the potential issues for affected wheat include both reduced yields and lower grain quality. And that's going to vary depending on the local situation in specific fields. You know, so some fields probably will dry out depending on the type of soil, just the local climate there. Um, if it stays more humid, more weather, the longer that condition prevails in your field, the longer the infection is going to play out and the greater the risk to yield impact for that particular field. If disease problems force a farmer to give up on a grain harvest, the good news is livestock are not threatened if the wheat is redirected to hay or forage. It might impact the quality of what they're feeding off of your field, but as far as potential downside to consuming the bacteria, we're not aware of any. Wheat farmers who notice unusual discoloration in their wheat and have questions or concerns are encouraged to contact the Extension Service. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. If you're like me, you give a lot of credit to the success in your life to your agriculture classes back in high school. Tom Nicoletti takes a look at the value of ag science programs here in Texas. As the school year is coming to a close, the rewarding experiences of agricultural science teachers can be numerous. Ray Pianzik is executive director of the Agricultural Teachers Association of Texas. Well, you know, any teacher just loves it when they see the light bulb come on, when kids realize they learned something they didn't know, they didn't understand a concept, and then they did, or they mastered a skill, you know, whether it's a floral design skill or a welding skill. Sometimes the student knows more than you think, and you just have to direct them and get them, so that's guiding them to some place. We have a lot of outside of classroom, and some of those are the most rewarding experiences. If I could go back and teach again, I'd love to just travel with kids to open their eyes and let them see, you know, agriculture and, and see those things. We, I love the competition, watching the kids be successful. Uh, I was fortunate to be at a school where the, the kids were competitors, and we won a lot of national contests, and watching them grin from ear to ear when they won a national contest, because that was their goal. Another rewarding experience is, is watching kids get to the careers that they go to. We have a lot of teachers. We, I see posts that they're going to these kids' uh, college graduations, of you know, and they invite their teachers. I saw some were recognized as, like, the top, uh, their top teacher that they had, and probably the most rewarding thing is when you have a student that really wasn't sure they wanted to, to be a teacher decides, hey, I'm going to be a teacher and comes back 
um, to, to fill some of the spots that are out there for agricultural science. The Agriculture Teachers of Association of Texas uh, that you lead has uh, published uh, research information indicating that students with two, four, or six semesters of agricultural education graduate at a higher rate than their high school peers. So that's uh, certainly um, advantageous to be part of an agricultural science program for those students. Definitely, definitely. And, and, and that's some third-party validated research that we're really proud that we can show that our kids are being successful in college. What I would say right now, it seems to be in our applied ag- agricultural engineering field, uh, program of study seems to be where schools are really wanting those. They may not be able to put together a welding program, but those kids can get practical skills. So having an ag mechanics background, that's probably one of our most popular. If you got a background in ag mech, you could find a job anywhere in Texas. That is Ray Pianzik with the Agricultural Teachers Association of Texas. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Recent rains may have taken our minds off the drought for a while, but it could be back quickly. So now is the time to prepare. Dr. Vanessa Olson has some tips for getting your pastures ready for the summer dry season. The first recommendation is to maintain adequate soil nutrients for forage production and persistence. Nitrogen is important for forage production. However, it is often the only nutrient applied. Phosphorus and potassium are critical for forage production and persistence. Potassium has been shown to be an important nutrient for forage, stolen, and rhizome production. It is also associated with improving Bermuda grass tolerance to both winter kill and diseases. Soil testing is a critical step in knowing what levels of nutrients are required. The next recommendation is to be mindful of your grazing management. Too heavy a stocking rate places excessive grazing pressure on forage resources. Heavy grazing pressure can reduce animal performance, but just as importantly, can decrease plant vigor. Overgrazing of plants removes the buds needed for regrowth. If insufficient stubble remains, water capture and infiltration is reduced. So when it does rain again, less water will enter the soil stores for plant growth. Lack of moisture suppresses plant growth and root development. Allow 6 to 8 inches of new growth before allowing livestock to graze. Roots must be replaced or bare areas will increase and invader weeds will prevail. A reduction in plant vigor reduces plant growth and can be a contributing factor to stand loss during or following a drought. The last recommendation is weed and insect pest control. Invasive weeds can dominate pastures and reduce the productive capability of Bermuda grass. Weed identification is critical to determine the best time to control as well as what is the best herbicide to spray. Grasshopper and armyworm infestations can have a devastating effect on Bermuda grass production in the summer and the fall. These pests rob you of valuable forage for grazing or hay production. Scouting for these insects early and following with appropriate pesticides can reduce damage. As always, follow the label of all pesticide products. Remember, management practices for maintaining healthy pastures in a normal year are also the same that minimize damage to pastures during drought. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson reporting from East Texas with Texas Ag Today. A budget rider that would eventually give Texans another tool to fight wild pigs has advanced in the Texas legislature. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. 
And mastitis is a tough infection to fight in the dairy herd. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an insurance agent who's a true neighbor. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Fighting mastitis is a constant battle if you're in the dairy business. But did you know many heifers may enter the herd with mastitis-causing organisms? Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd explains. Dr. Amber Yetzi from Penn State indicates that although only about 10% of these heifers actually develop mastitis at first milking, just one infection can cause scar tissue in the udder and decrease milk production by 10% in the first lactation. Although we are not sure why this occurs, studies have shown that teat canals can become colonized by disease-producing bacteria at very young ages, so prevention will require some management techniques before heifers enter the milking herd. These contagious mastitis-producing microorganisms live primarily in the udders of infected cows and are spread to heifers when they are fed non-pasteurized milk or colostrum. These calves most likely spread the infection to their udder by licking the area after ingesting raw milk, and these organisms can remain infectious for some time. To aid in preventing this problem, Dr. Yutzi recommends feeding only pasteurized milk to dairy calves and do not feed waste milk from cows infected with mastitis. Use individual stalls for pre-weaned calves and cull calves that suckle other calves. Also, do not use freshening pens for sick cows and routinely culture milk from cows who are chronically infected with mastitis and properly deal with these cows that are chronically infected. It's a good idea to have all non-lactating heifers in an area that is well bedded, dry, and clean with significant space for the number of animals present. Fly control is important on the farm as flies can contribute to spread of infectious organisms and feeding a well-balanced diet is important to enhance the heifer's immune system to fight off infection. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A budget rider that may help fight wild pigs has advanced in the Texas legislature. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. There is good news for Texans dealing with the growing wild pig population. The Texas Legislature's Budget Conference Committee has adopted the rider to the Texas Department of Agriculture's budget that will finally allow research in Texas on the warfarin-based toxicant kaput. Harold Stone, Associate Legislative Director for Texas Farm Bureau, explains. The rider right now will allow Texas Department of Agriculture to work with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension to develop a experimental use program on the product that allow them to contact landowners to cooperate with them in a a limited use program that will allow the product to be tested for effectiveness. 
Now that the budget, with the rider included, has been approved by the committee, it goes back to the Texas House and Senate for approval. If approved there, the budget goes to the governor, who can veto line items if he chooses. The wild pig or feral hog problem doesn't just impact rural areas of Texas, it affects the whole state. And that was evident in the Capitol this session. More of the suburban and urban legislators who don't have rural lands in their district, they're actually seeing these animals, you know, encroach in their neighborhoods and their areas. So we've actually had a lot of folks that this is finally getting to them. So, you know, now they're wanting to make sure we're trying to do all we can to combat this species. Wild pigs are an invasive species that cause millions of dollars in damage each year. Currently, study of warfarin-based control measures have been prohibited in Texas due to riders in previous TDA and extension budgets. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It was a mixed day to kick off the week Monday in the cattle market. We finished mostly lower for live cattle, mostly higher on feeder cattle. The grain market's also finishing lower, both wheat and corn, in negative territory. We'll take a closer look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. It was a mixed trade to kick off the week on Monday in the cattle complex. We closed mostly lower on the live cattle market, mostly higher on feeder cattle. June live cattle down 92 cents, 116.75. August down 82, 120.10. October live cattle down 77 cents, 124.27. Feeder cattle higher on all except the nearby May. It was down 95, 136.27. August feeders up 42, 154.12. September feeder cattle up 50 cents, 155.40. Cash fed cattle market all quiet on Monday. No sales reported. The show list this week look a bit larger here in Texas, a bit smaller in Kansas, Nebraska, and Colorado. Boxed beef prices were mixed Monday. Choice up a dollar fifty-three, three twenty-six seventy. Select down seventy-one, three oh one sixty. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. We're in Angelo. San Angelo, for you folks that aren't local, to talk to Jody Fry from Producers in Cargyle, San Angelo. Jody, I heard you caught a good rain. I uh, had a blessed rain and, and glad to get it. Uh, 715 head was this week's total. Better market, calling these kids and yearlings, 2 to $4 higher. I'd say most uh, everything was trying to trade on the higher side. Slaughter cows, they saw $1 to $2 higher. Slaughter bulls, not many of those on offers, especially not many of the high-yielding slaughter bulls. They were selling about steady. Limited numbers of bred cows and pairs like you would expect, steady to slightly higher on those. Better quality steers, four to 600 pounds, 125 up to a high of around 165, mostly 130 to 150. Six to 800 pound 
steers from 110 all the way up to 155, mostly 120 to 140. Better quality heifer calves, 4 to 600 pounds, 110 to 145, mostly 120 to 135. Slaughter cows average to high yielding from 52 to 64. Had several of the highest yielding slaughter cows from 66 to a high of 72. Slaughter bulls average to high yielding, 66 to 86. A few of those from 87 to a high of 97. Bred cows and two-year-olds had a few young heavy breads anywhere from 825 to 1,025 per head. Cow-calf pairs uh, average to better quality from 900 to a high of 1325. What do you anticipate for next week, Jody? Well, I think we've got a real good chance of rain on Sunday and Monday, and that could really uh, play into the sheep and goat numbers. I would not expect a two-day sale. I look for numbers to fall off uh, somewhat on the sheep and goat sale. And cattle numbers, I expect kind of in this range of 800 to 1,000 head. Jody, tell everybody how to get a hold of you. They're at the office at 325-653-3371. Call the mobile phone, 325-234-7895. Thank you, Jody, and thank you, my Texas farming and ranching neighbors, for listening to Walking the Pins, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm your host, Larry Marble. Good day to you. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs finished lower on Monday. June hogs down 87 cents, 113.35. July down a dollar twenty-two. 11532. Class 3 milk was lower. May milk off a penny, 1894. June milk down 53 cents, 1760, 100 weight. Not a lot of direction in the cotton market on Monday. Of course, traders watching the rain that we're getting here in Texas. They're also keeping an eye on the weather in the southeast. They're having some weather troubles there as well, but still not a lot of direction to kick off the week on Monday. July cotton was unchanged, 82.82. The October up 11 points, 83.75. December cotton up 7, 83.29. Good rate across the Corn Belt, pushing the corn market lower. Good rain across the plains from Nebraska all the way down here to Texas, pushing the wheat market lower. So lower grain markets, thanks to all the rain we've been getting. July Kansas City wheat down eight and three quarters, six fifteen and a quarter. July Chicago wheat down twelve, six sixty-two and a quarter. July corn down two and a quarter, six fifty-seven and a quarter. September corn down four and three quarters, five sixty-eight and a half. In the energy markets, June natural gas down two cents, two eighty-eight. July crude oil up two thirty-nine, sixty-five ninety-seven a barrel. The financial markets higher. The Dow up two hundred twenty-four points, thirty-four thousand four thirty-two. The Nasdaq up two fifteen at thirteen thousand six eighty-six. The S and P five hundred up forty-eight points, four thousand two hundred three. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you next time right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.